Carlos, welcome. Hello, Rudy. It's good to have you here. It's good to be here, man. So we had Deacon Ray on the program, and I understand you're in the process. That is correct. The diaconate formation, is that what they call it? That is correct, diaconate formation. So how long have you been into it? So I've been four and a half years already. So we are entering what they call the senior year. So it's actually graduation date is 2023, but we are entering the senior year. It's been a wonderful journey, man. I I cannot believe that it was um, 2017 when we entered in January and here we are. Wow. And you started all of that here at St. Faustina. I started all of that here in St. Faustina. And how, how long have you been with the parish? Uh, since 2016, beginning of 16. Were we already in the building or were we still in the school? We're, yeah, we were at the school. At the school? Yes. Uh, so you saw that? All I of that, saw at the, all the school, that. the old office all building? All that, all and that. Everything. It, yes. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Venezuela. I was born in Venezuela and I grew up in Venezuela. Okay. And when did you move to the United States? I moved in 2005. So I, again, I was 27 years old when I, when I moved here with my wife to the United States. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a long, long journey how we decided to get here, but it was 2005 when we moved. And we moved to Oklahoma. So that was our entry point. Norman, Oklahoma, very small town. So and, you grew up in, in Venezuela, and then it wasn't until after you were married. Did you have kids yet at that point? Oh, no, no. No kids. So just you and your wife. It was me and my wife. So tell us about growing up in Venezuela. Well, you know, it, it was a wonderful um, childhood. Um, I'm the youngest of five. It was, a, it was a big family, right? All brothers. So growing up in Venezuela, you know, it was, it was a, a very friendly, very close uh, community. Uh-huh. Our culture is all about sharing and having fun and enjoying doing things together. So I, I grew up, again, always smiling, running, doing, doing fun stuff. What city? Maracaibo. Where, where That's is that? the name. Maracaibo is on the west of the country. Maracaibo is, the, is in the region in Venezuela where most of the oil and gas production has happened for the last hundred plus, plus years. It's very known in Venezuela. Venezuelan is an old producer for, for a century, right? Were your parents involved in? My mom. Your my, mom? My mom worked for the National Oil Company, and, uh, and I grew up close to that. I grew up, you know, very, very um, active, if you will, in the oil and gas industry. So very important for Venezuela because that, that, that was our main source of, um, mm-hmm. of income, uh, the oil, oil business. And growing up in that city, well, just put me right there to, to be close to that. And then eventually I decided to study that career. But, but anyway. What well, about your dad? My dad, uh, he was in the, um, in the insurance business, right? Okay. So he had he, his own, uh, own uh, career, if you will. Um, but he was basically selling uh, you know, car insurance and, and house and things like that. So um, it was a different career path. Uh-huh. My mom was very, you know, in the old business, you, you travel, you work long hours. Well, my dad had a little bit of control on uh, his own time. And that helped with five kids at home. <laughs> wow. I can tell you. So you are the it, jo- youngest. You, you're the youngest. Okay. Oh, man. Growing up. Of five. Of five. Did they pick on you? Always. <laughs> you know how it works. Well, Rudy, I always make this joke uh, <laughs> that I didn't know that a chicken had 
more than just wings and a neck until they left, which means that they never left for me. <laughs> The legs and the in the in the breast, right? <laughs> you had it was the only odd the parts wings. of the chicken. That so I didn't know that the, the other small parts pieces, existed. Yeah. <laughs> that's part of being the youngest, right? So, did you grow up a Catholic? Yes. So I, it, you know, my whole family, right? A Catholic. Uh -huh. um, I went to a Catholic school, private Catholic school in Maracaibo, Maristas. The the is a brotherhood. Um, Wonderful experience, right? So my mom, very, very deep Catholic. Um, my, in my family, in my mom's family, all of them, my dad as well. So yes, I grew up Catholic in, um, in all the sacraments and everything. So it was no doubt any, 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 at any moment that that was my faith and it was my religion. So I spent a few years in the Philippines and I went to a private Catholic school and the, the schools there are mostly all boys and all girls. Was that the same when? In Venezuela? It was the same thing. Um, however, so I studied with all boys. However, when I left, um, the next generation, so in sixth grade or seventh grade, uh -huh. they already, they, you know, girls were coming behind. So they were integrating the boys were and the girls. integrating the boys and the girls. So nowadays it is both boys and girls. So um, I'm not too sure which one I prefer. The only one that I know is only boys, and I enjoy that a lot, right? Because <laughs> you hijinks in an all boys you know, high you school. You do crazy things that you don't need to really worry about, you know, who's watching. So <laughs> that's true. And you, there, there are no girls around to impress or anything like that. that the guys great. can just go crazy. That and is get great. That is extremely great. childish. So you went to, you grew up in Venezuela. Venezuela, yes. So all the way until you met your wife from Venezuela as well. That is great, Rudy. And then you met her, you got married, and then you moved to the United States. So you said earlier that the there was a long, complicated yeah, you know, decision it's, process it, 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 and it all that. A, it is a huge um, decision you, we had to make. And the reason is this. So in Venezuela, when I, when I was born in the first years of my life, there was no desire to leave the country. Nobody uh -huh. really left Venezuela. It was, it was a great place to live. With uh -huh. all problems, as you can imagine. You know, corruption, a political situation. But Just like a, every other place. Like every other yeah. place. But it was a great place to be. So I, I, we didn't have any desire to leave. Uh -huh. um, so my wife and I, we actually studied the same career. We met at the university. So we had the same degree. So we graduated. She started working for the national oil company. I started working for an international oil company. We, we thought, this is it. We're good. So we're going to continue our life here, have kids. That was your plan, just to stay. That was our plan, just to stay. Uh-huh. I, did, I always wanted to explore the world, but perhaps not to leave abroad, but yeah. to explore the world. So I had the opportunity in international companies. So I said, okay, so I have everything that I want. But the political situation started to complicate, right? And change. And, um, and we had to make a call. And the call was, is this what we want for us and for our kids and for our family? Mm. Or do we want to change? We so, agreed we want to change. So tell us a, a little bit, just, you know, a brief, um, since forgive my ignorance about no the, the political situation back then, what, what was the situation? So there was a, in, 2000, in 1998, um, Hugo Chavez, you know, was elected as the president. Um, and then, you know, he started bringing socialism, communism, those ideas, right? First okay. of all, very light, you know, dissimulated. Uh -huh. But then very open and with no concern whatsoever, this is what we're going to do. 
and I was completely opposed to that. To the communistic ideas. To the communist idea, Uh that socialism that, because they didn't understand what they were saying. It was only that script to make the the people to embrace that and support Uh that. So um, in 2002, there was a national strike against the government and the national oil company was leading that. My wife was part of the national company. And as a result, half of the population of the company were fired. Wow. She was one of them. Wow. That was the beginning of this journey because she was not able to find a job. Was she blackballed in the country? Oh, yeah. Everybody who was fired Everyone. was blackballed, could it not was, find work. Could not find work. Wow. It was so open that it was on the internet, your name. So it was that obvious. Just so, because you worked for the company. Yeah, because you decided to go on that strike, support that strike, then that's it. So you, you're going you're gonna to be um, kicked out. That's crazy. Of the company. So that was the beginning of our thought process. Well, this is not what we want. What are we going to do? Mm-hmm. So we started exploring options. And, and among many options, one of them was to come to the United States uh-huh. to continue my education. So I came to the United States to enroll in a university to get a master's degree. Okay. And that's what I did. And what university did you end the up university in? University of Oklahoma, OU. So I'm a Sooner. So I understand here in Texas, <laughs> I should not be saying that, but I am a Sooner. Um, that was a university that, um, that welcomed me. Uh-huh. Uh, in normal Oklahoma. So in 2005, I had to make probably one of the first uh, decision, tough decision in my life. I had a fantastic job, uh-huh. uh, Rudy, in this international company. Um, you know, good salary, good, good future. Uh-huh. It, it was great. But, but it was not enough for me. It was because for me, it was about being in a place that I, that I felt I belonged. And unfortunately, I was not buying that idea, as I mentioned to you, the communists and socialism. I said, this is not what I want for my kids. I Uh I want to do something else. So I found this opportunity to come to the United States, get a master's degree. Uh And the beauty, it was that the the company I worked for, they supported me. So they gave me a partial grant. Oh, that's good. Nice. And they gave me a leave of absence. So I was able to come here with a job. And they Uh paid me for the first semester. Wow. This is a no-brainer. I need to do it. Yeah. So definitely the Lord was in charge of every decision because it was not easy to get that support at the moment. Yes. So it was probably one of the first ones in that company that left. And that was beginning of 2005. Okay. I went to, to Oklahoma to get that degree. And the best part is that when you do that, you uh-huh. go through the legal route. Yes. Then you get your degree and then you get a permit to work. It's a, it's a temporary permit to work, but you can yes. work. Well, because I had a permit to work and I had my connection with, with my, my company, yes, I was able to join or rejoin the company in New Orleans. So we moved from Oklahoma to New Orleans. So your wife was with you? My wife was with me all the time. So you, you brought her while you were in the university? Yes. Was so, she able to find work in Oklahoma? Yes. yes. Actually, uh, I said she worked for that year and a half that I was studying and, and I was watching TV and I studied, you know, that, uh-huh. that life, right? That. I, I had worked for five years and I said, I'm going to take a break. I'm going to study. So she was the one working. Um, she was working in, um, and it was a great opportunity for her. Mm-hmm. And it was not in the oil and gas industry, uh, but it was, she was working in, um, as, a, as a manager of a complex of apartment, right? She's very into the details, very uh-huh. organized. So it was a fantastic job for her. But the fact that she was blackballed 
that didn't affect her when she came here. Oh, it no. was only in Venezuela. Oh, yeah, only in Venezuela. Okay. Uh, there was no connection whatsoever uh, here in the in the U.S. So she she didn't have any problem to do that. So you went from Oklahoma to, to New, New Orleans. Orleans, and how did you end up in Texas? Well, not that yet. So <laughs> interesting in New Orleans, we moved just after Katrina. So oh. by itself, that's that was a wonderful opportunity for us to grow as human beings. Because we were so close to the desperation, the need, the disaster. Wow. Yeah. Uh, not many people were moving back. We were uh -huh. we were the brave ones that decided to to go there. So and, and you help. decided to to move back to Oklahoma, uh, to excuse me to, to New Orleans. New Orleans. From from Oklahoma to New Orleans where nobody was moving there, right? Uh-huh. Uh, because it, the the condition were, were not the best, so we decided to do that. And and you know what, we grew up. So so it was the recovery of the city, uh -huh. recovery of the state, and we were part of that. That taught us so much about what matters in life. You know, seeing and watching the people. You know, and helping them. Grateful, yes, grateful man. Uh, you know, appreciation and gratitude. I, I I had never seen that so close, so it was a great opportunity for us to to uh, to leave that. So in New Orleans, they, those were five years, and in those five years, many things happened. The most important one, my daughter was born uh -huh. there, so uh, she was born there in two thousand and eight. The second one, and probably should have been the first one, but it's like, well, it was my I I went back to my faith. I never left that. You know, I was not practicing my Catholic faith so you much. You were a Sunday Catholic. I was definitely a Sunday Catholic. <laughs> but I was not studying my faith, my religion, getting close to that. Uh -huh. So I was able to get really close to my Catholic faith. I, w I had the opportunity to be part of the um, evangelization group called San Andres. Mm -hmm. It's a, a school that, that basically is all about, you know, going out and finding Peter. Andrew was Peter's brother. Uh -huh. Andrew ha was the one that saw the Lord first. Uh -huh. And he ran and looked at and searched for, pay for Peter. Peter, I found the Lord. So we, we are all about being Andrew, finding Peter, bringing Peter to the, to, to the Lord. Is that what triggered your yeah, renewal in your faith? Absolutely. That was the beginning of, of this, this How did you find word. that? Well, it, crazy enough, I was just sitting at mass on a Sunday and someone came, uh -huh. um, came and, and, you know, approached us and said, um, you know, would you mind to come? Would you like to come Monday to this group? We're going to meet and this is what we do. Uh -huh. said, yes. And I couldn't, I couldn't leave. I went there and it was wonderful. It was beautiful. Um, we started taking classes and attending. It was all about, again, being humble. Uh -huh. But recognizing that we all have a mission. When they first approached you, were you like, why are you talking to me? Don't talk. I've never, <laughs> Some people are like really, that. They're, I've they're no, really shy. I'm not that. I'm not that. <laughs> you know, you ask my, my wife and my daughter. I, um, I talk to everyone. I, okay. I love people. I love people. So, no, I, of course, I was very receptive. <laughs> and, and I said, yeah, no, that's, that, that's good. That's His name good. is Humberto. Humberto. So, Humberto, uh, you know, talked to me. He came with a rosary as a gift. Uh-huh. I was like, yes, 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 yes. So I went there not knowing exactly what was going to happen, but it was the entry point, uh, Escuela San Andres. That's, that was the entry point. And through the Escuela San Andres, I met Father Pedro Núñez. Mm -hmm. Father Pedro Núñez is well known in the EWTN, Radio Católica Mundial. So I, I worked very close with him. 
I, I helped him in his office. I, you know, he taught me how to preach. He told me how to evangelize. He gave me opportunities to get close to the wounded, to those in need, uh, to be closer to the community. And, and I define myself as a soldier. What parish was this? Um, well, many, many, many parishes, but it was San Jerónimo, probably was the, the, the parish. And in New Orleans, we had two or three that we went, but San Jerónimo was the one where San Andres was happening and where we had the opportunity to get closer to, um, to the community, to my faith. So those were fantastic five years, Rudy, where, you know, I, I got to learn my faith. Uh-huh. I got to learn my religion. I got to learn, you know, what being Catholic was all about. I, I experienced firsthand the need and, and it was wonderful because it helped me to appreciate, you know, what I had, you know, and don't, and, and not taking for granted some of the things that I had at the moment. So those were five years in, in, in New Orleans. It, do you find it odd that you grew up in a, you know, in a Catholic school and your family was Catholic and it wasn't until you were, you were much older that you actually really learn what your faith was about, like you said? Yeah, uh, I, I don't think it's odd. I think it's a reality. And, and since then, I've been trying to change that. Uh-huh. You know, first of all, with my family, meaning with my daughter, with my nieces and, and nephew, with my friends, I've been trying to evangelize and help me understand as early as possible uh-huh. what it is to be a Catholic. Because I think the school could help, but they don't, they don't have, it's not their role to, to get you to be a Catholic. They will help you. Mm-hmm. But it has to happen at home. Mm. So um, that's a great point. I, and, and I feel that my school was wonderful, but with so many priorities, right? You know, you want to be with girls, you want to be, you know, <laughs> handsome, you want to be popular. So it was so many things that were priority for me. And, and I don't think that's wrong if you create a balance because mm-hmm. it is part of being a teenager. And I do, I do teenagers are teenagers. Teenagers are teenagers and, yeah. and they need to have fun and they need to, you know, take care of the hair and the clothes. <laughs> I, I take it. I, I get all of that. Whether you're in a private school or a public school, it's a teenager's a teenager. That is great. Yeah. <laughs> but it's all about a balance uh-huh. because at the end of the day, you need to ask yourself, what really matters to you? And that taught, New Orleans taught me that because mm. people that lost everything, their jobs, their houses, their cars, their career, wow. everything. There was one thing that they couldn't, that they, well, they didn't, they didn't miss or they didn't lose their faith. But I said, this is a good example. Faith, it doesn't matter the name of the hurricane. It doesn't matter the name of the pandemic. Faith is there because it's a gift from God. And you decide what you're going to do with that. So um, that's why it was not odd. It was a wonderful opportunity that my parents gave me that, that seed. Yes. the Catholic faith. Yes. And the only thing that I had to do is just put water and put it close to the sun and make it a, a wonderful tree, right? See, hearing you talk about this, just it, it reminds me of myself too, because I did spend a few years in, in a Catholic school, but I ne- didn't really learn what my faith was about until much later. And it's funny, but you're right. It's the seeds there. They give, they give you the guide but there's more than just that, like you said, at home and, and learning all those things and focusing on what's that is correct. really important. That is correct. So how did you get to Houston from so New Orleans? From New Orleans, it was 2011. 
and then we moved to the Netherlands in Europe. Netherlands, what brought you there, work? Work. Okay. So I got a job, a wonderful job opportunity to move to the Netherlands. What is interesting is how the, you know, the Lord works, right? I was very close to the church, active, you know, radio show, helping everyone, preaching. I thought, this is it, right? Uh -huh. I am the star. Lord, <laughs> I am helping you. I'm serving you. You couldn't ask anything else from me, right? I am a good disciple. Well, he had a different plan. He said, well, you think you're ready? <laughs> Okie dokie. Now I'm going to send you to the Netherlands, to Europe, uh -huh. where the Catholic faith is compromised. You really want to evangelize? I'm going to take you out of your comfort zone. Oh, wow. And now we're going to talk. So I talked to Father Pedro and I said, you know, why? I thought I, thought I was doing everything right. Why is the Lord, you know, sending me to the Netherlands when I'm here yeah. very happy and doing well? It's like a well-oiled machine and now a monkey wrench is thrown into it and you're, but hold up, hold up. Before you get to that, you said radio show. Yeah. Could you tell us about that? So yeah, Father Pedro, you know, he is, um, very, you know, he has a radio show um, in, in Radio Católica Mundial, which is a sister of uh, EWTN. Right? Okay. And also a TV show. Conozca primero su fe católica en las solas con Jesús. So they are in Spanish, right? Uh, solas con Jesús is a, you know, along with Jesus, that is a radio show. That's the name. Okay. He invited me many times to that show, said, join me. So I was, you know, together with Father Pedro talking in Radio Católica Mundial, you know, in front of millions of people because it is heard everywhere, I think, back in the days except China. So I had the opportunity to be in front of the microphone talking to the people about, you know, what it is to be a disciple, meaning the good and bads, right? The mistakes that we make, but how we need to trust and those type of things. So it was a great opportunity, Rudy, to put yourself out and let the Lord work uh -huh. through you. Because I was not ready to be in front of a microphone. <laughs> I mean, I'm an engineer. Uh -huh. I'm not, I was not ready and educated to do this. But that's the moment when you realize, okay, you're not the star. You're just the instrument. Yes. So if you let the Holy Spirit use you, it's going to go well. And it happened to be that I was in, in a couple of uh, nights where I was alone because Father Pedro couldn't make it. Emergencies. Emergencies, yeah. you know, that happened. Yeah. I was scared to death. Because they were live <laughs> questions. You know, we opened the line and people will call. Oh, and they'll ask advice and yes. they'll ask questions about. Yes. Wow. And, and believe me, they are not easy ones. <laughs> Did you get questions like about canon law and Catholic dogma? And Those are not the tough ones. <laughs> believe me. Those are the easier ones. Those huh? are the easy ones. The tough ones are life related. Oh, yes. My partner is hitting me. Oh, wow. Abused me. What wow. do you tell that person? Wow. Forgiveness? Love? Yeah. He's about to kill me. Yeah. What do I do? That's when you say, it's definitely the Holy Spirit acting. Because I was not ready, Rudy, to provide good answers. So I was scared, but I prayed. I scared, but I prayed. If you follow that equation that is the right one you have faith fear diminishes and that's what i had to do i uh -huh. had no choices <laughs> but to have faith so th is this 
show still on the air right now? Yes. So you, you said that it's heard all over the world, so I'm assuming that it's live streamed. It's live streamed. So Tuesdays and Thursdays. Where can they check that out? Well, go to Radio Católica Mundial, I think, is it through the EWTN. They will find out Asolas con Jesús, that's the name, and they will be able to hear that. I think 6 p.m. New Orleans time on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Um, Still the same priest? Same priest. He is probably one of the most recognized priests in the Hispanic community here in Latin America. Uh, oh, really? yeah, yeah. He's been preaching all over Latin America. I do have, you know, examples. We went on a pilgrimage to um, uh, Europe, to Italy. Uh-huh. We were in in a in a park or a, at a at a mass at a church, and people would come to him. Padre Pedro, like he's a big celebrity. He's a big celebrity. <laughs> well, really, when he came to Houston. You know, we had to have bodyguards and things like that around him. So, he, when was that? When did he come to Houston? Uh, well, he comes, you know, quite often. Okay. Uh, I was uh, Dominic Sanner when he came. Um, so we had a lot of people that wanted to touch him and get a picture with him. He has come here to San Faustina twice. We have invited him for the healing masses. Uh, I think the first healing mass that was April two thousand and eighteen or something like that. Uh-huh. He came, and then and then two thousand and nineteen he came again, and a lot of people came from from all over that, Texas just wh- to watch him. I remember I remember a couple of those healing masses being really jam packed. Well, a lot of a lot of Hispanics know who who he is. So that's why going back to that radio show, he gave me that opportunity. Uh-huh. And and I and I always try to go back to that moment to to be humble. To remind myself that it is it is the Holy Spirit acting and not me. Because the problem really in, in, this, in this world where we are, you know, in the diaconate formation and when you call, go out there, right, and you preach and people say, wow, what a wonderful, you know, homily, what a wonderful reflection, you may forget that it's not about you. Yes. So I will always go back to those moments where I was sitting, sweating, scared to death, and I prayed uh-huh. and I watched the Holy Spirit acting through me. And I said, this is it. I will always remember that. It's not about me. I'm just an instrument. Because it's easy to fall into that. It's a slippery slope. Like <laughs> We're human beings. Yes, exactly. I'm not going to come here and lie that I don't lie. People coming to me and say, <laughs> wonderful. I, I don't, I don't want a miserable life. But, but I want to make sure that at the end of the day, I slow down, I pause, and I said, okay, Lord, it's all about you. Mm. This is yours, not mine. Now tell, us, now tell us about your moving to Europe. Yeah, so we, I moved there in 2011. With my wife and my daughter. Mm-hmm. Dutch is the main language, right? So I never learned the Dutch. I'm going to be <laughs> honest. My daughter, she was fluent. My wife, you know, learned way more than me. How old was your daughter? She was two and a half years old. Oh, okay. So it's easy to pick up easy, the language. Easy. Yeah. She was in international uh, school. It was in the American School of The Hague. Uh, we lived in The Hague, which is the, the capital of the... Uh, is political capital of the of the Netherlands. Okay. I think the the geographical capital is Amsterdam, mm-hmm. but we were in the Hague. Um, it, it was a wonderful opportunity, Rudy. Work wise, it was great because the headquarters of my company are there. Mm-hmm. So maybe people already know where where I work for. But but okay, the headquarters are there. So it was a wonderful opportunity. But personally, as a family, we got closer than ever. Really, we had no friends. At the moment. Yeah. <laughs> the, the church was not as active as it is here. So I had to reinvent myself and my evangelization. 
say, Lord, if you, you brought me here, what do you want from me? Mm-hmm. And, and I don't know if people think that the Lord is going to pick up the phone and call you and tell you or text you, okay, Carlos, this is exactly what I want from you. It doesn't happen <laughs> that, like that. So you need to be very active and searching and saying, what do you want from me? You need to be knocking door. Uh-huh. So I, I knocked the door of Santa Ines, that's uh, St. Engs, that's the name of the parish I joined. Very poor, very poor parish. Not many people going there, Rudy. But the priest was from Bolivia. So Spanish speaker, uh-huh. very fluent in, in Dutch. So I started helping that priest. So I had the opportunity, Rudy, to, to work with prostitutes because that's legal in the Netherlands. Uh-huh. To work with people that um, sell and negotiate with drugs because at some level that, that is legal. Uh-huh. It was a completely different ball game. What parish was this? St. Engs, Santa Ines. That's a name in the Netherlands. And what is interesting is when I realized the divine law versus the civil law is really, really, really uh, evident in the Netherlands because it's the law, the civil law, uh-huh. said you could be, it's legal to be a prostitute. It's a way of living your life. It is legal to consume and use drugs in whatever, whatever measurements. So how, do we, how did I explain to them that there was a divine law that was way beyond anything else? Uh-huh. How, how could I explain them and work with them without judgment, but in pastoral way, yes. showing care to say, your salvation is more important than anything else. But at the same time, recognizing that their kids were hungry. They had something, they needed something to eat. Mm. So then I understood, thank you, Lord, because you brought me here to face the reality of the challenges we have as Catholics. Because Catholic means universal. Yes. Catholic means that we need to go and seek everyone. We don't go out and ask, are you Catholic? How how often have you been going to mass? (laughs) So based on the questionnaire, I help you or not? No. Like, hey, you. Yes. Are you Catholic? Are you Catholic? (laughs) So it it was a great opportunity. Those were almost four years, Rudy, that I spent there. And and it was a different way. I had to be creative to go out and and help and talk to people and evangelize. Mm -hmm. Because we didn't have all the ministries and all the structure and infrastructure that we have here in the U.S. It was a different story. But I couldn't use that as an excuse. I was brought there to evangelize. That's, that's what I knew. Then the Lord left me. Now you do it. So most of the people there are atheists? Atheists? That what? Yeah. Actually, I do have one story. They are atheists because I think that they have not seen the real Catholic faith. They, they, they had very bad experiences. And some of them just used that, that excuse. I worked with um, colleagues that were atheists. Mm-hmm. And I remember... You know, very, at the beginning of my, my journey there, one of them came and asked me, so what do you feel, what do you say about this announcement that I heard about the Pope saying da, 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 da. Said, okay. So let's do something. Go to the cafeteria, buy a coffee. I will invite. I'm going to bring my computer. And I'm going to open www.vatican.va. Uh-huh. Because that's the source. Yes. We're going to find exactly what the Pope said. Oh, okay. No, Carlos, I didn't. It was on the news said, I don't mind to talk about my church and uh-huh. my faith, but let's go back to the evidences and the facts. 
I know exactly what you're saying. I'm going to open that letter for you. Uh-huh. We're going to review that letter together. And then you can ask me any question. Look at the actual source and not the spin that the Because the what they were, they were referring is an interpretation that someone made yes. out of that. I said, <laughs> I can give this letter to my daughter. She will have a different interpretation that father that yeah. or myself. It was a great opportunity to educate each other. Mm-hmm. What do you think happened after that? They came to me with real questions. Mm-hmm. Carlos, I really want to learn why the Catholic Church does this. Yeah. Why the position on, and you can imagine, homosexuality, divorce, anything, right? All those problems that we deal nowadays. And I refer to the catechism. I said, uh-huh. this is what the church says. And then, of course, we, can't, we had that debate about, well, but that's not what I've experienced. I saw a priest doing, okay, but this is what the Catholic church says. Yes. Do I accept that they are bad practices? Absolutely. I am the first one saying I'm guilty. Uh-huh. I failed. I've done, I've made mistakes. We all fail. We all fail. <laughs> but let's use the evidences to have that educated conversation. It was wonderful, Rudy, to have the opportunity that those people that at the beginning wanted to, you know, bring you down and humiliate you, mm-hmm. then they were next to you wanting to learn. So they first came to you trying to challenge you, trying to say, okay, I'm going to put this guy in a, in a spot where he can't answer me. I'm going to embarrass him. And then you turned it into an opportunity to open up a discussion. That's the evangelization, right? Yep. That's what it is. And, and I'm not saying that they were converted. I don't know. But I'm saying that one of my, my colleagues, he, before I left, he said, I am going to marry. I didn't mention this to you. I've been in preparation and I'm going to marry in the Catholic church. I said, okay. And you planted some good seeds too. That's That's what it is. That's it. And that one is going to help others. He was a young, young guy, right? Mm -hmm. In the, in the high twenties. said, this is a wonderful opportunity. So 2014 is when I left the Netherlands and the Lord brought me to Houston, Texas. Because of work. Because of work. So your company moved you from the Netherlands. And how old was your daughter at that point? Uh, she was five and a half, almost six years. Almost Did she have um, problems with English? No. Moving on to... No, she was in the American School of the Hague. Okay. So my, my, at that time, and she's brilliant. She's very smart. I love her today. Does she I, still speak yeah. Dutch? No, 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 no. no. She, she lost that, unfortunately. What is not going to lose is the accent. Because what happened is any acts, any language you develop before seven, the accent is the one that will remain. The vocabulary is gone. Uh-huh. But whenever she decides to go back to Dutch, she's going to pick it up really quickly mm-hmm. with a perfect accent. So my, she, at that time, she speak perfect Spanish and English because as a rule at home, uh-huh. we speak Spanish. Uh-huh. And at school, it was English and TV was Dutch. So she was... Trilingual. Trilingual. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Trilingual. Moving here to Houston, what year was that? That was 2014. And your daughter was how old at the time? Sorry, I can't do the math. Almost six. Almost six. (laughs) It was almost six. So she started going to school here in Houston. Yes. And that's when you found St. Faustina. Well, actually, she started in St. John Paul II. Okay. And the Energy Corridor. That's Eldridge. Mm -hmm. We moved here to uh, Fulcher. So we actually moved to Velaterra. We bought a house there Uh where, guess what? We had the school. Yes. So I was very close to San Faustina, 
but I didn't go to San Faustina because I didn't know that San Faustina was there. You didn't know that we were having mass at the, at the school. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I started going to San Bartholomew. That was the parish that I, I, I started working with. So it was a lecturer mm -hmm. over there. Um, of course, when I moved here, the first thing I wanted is I want to help. I want to help. You know, I, I've always been very active. Um, so I wanted to help. And, and, and I started, you know, working in San Bartholomew just as a lecturer. For my role and my job, I, I traveled a lot, Woody. So it was very hard for me to really have a more active role in, in any ministry. Uh -huh. So, um, but San Bartholomew was the one that um, opened the door for me. But wh why I refer the, the, the distance? Because when, before we moved from the Netherlands here, there was one thing, it was a must for me. It was the Catholic education for my daughter. Uh -huh. In the Netherlands, we couldn't get that. And, and the reason is, even though there might be Catholic, Schools, it's not a Catholic curriculum. Really? So, but, but that might be a, a, a conversation from, from, for another, <laughs> another time. But, but it was very important for me because even though her school was great academically, the American School of the Hague was fantastic. And, and it gave my daughter the opportunity to interact with people from around the world, mm -hmm. different faith and different belief or non-belief. I was missing, as I mentioned to you, that support from the school uh -huh. that I grew up with. So I talked to my wife and we, we agreed she's going to study in a Catholic school. So I did my homework when I was in the Netherlands. And, and we decided John Paul II is the one. It, that's the school that we want our daughter to go. They would say, but it's far away. Say, doesn't matter. We will commute. We will sacrifice, whatever. Uh -huh. But she's going she's gonna to go there. So she started in preschool in St. John Paul II, the second Catholic school. And she is there nowadays. So after six years or so. Cool, cool. And you're in the diaconate formation program right now. And you're four years into it. How did that get started? Oh, that's, that's the best question. Okay, so this, this was the second call. The first call I got to, to consider becoming a deacon happened when I was in New Orleans. It makes sense, right? It was public, you know, it was, everyone knew who I was. You I were said, on that radio yeah, show. I was on the radio show. Uh -huh. So one, one deacon, uh, Deacon Lewis uh, came to me and said, Carlos, you should consider doing this. Let me tell you something, Woody. I, I, was, I was ready to be a deacon. I wanted to be a deacon. Uh -huh. I would have loved to be a deacon. And they told me no. Really? And they told me no because at that, at that time, <clears throat> I had a working visa. Okay. And, and which was meant to be for a period of time, and the, the diocese said, you may move. So we don't think that you have that commitment to complete the program. Uh -huh. So until you have more permanent residency and things like that, they, then we could consider that. Then 10 years or something after that, um, Juan Palomares, who was also in the formation here, uh, told me, um, I told Father that, that, um, that you wanted to be an, an acolyte. So we made an appointment. So you're going to talk to Father Dad to become an acolyte. Uh -huh. So I came here ready to talk to Father Dad about becoming an acolyte. So when I sit, sit, sat down and I talked to Father Dad, he said, okay, Carlos, I'm, I'm, I'm so uh, thrilled that you are considering to become a deacon. 
<laughs> Sorry for that. Maybe it's another Carlos. But this is Carlos Hernandez for the acolyte discussion, not, not the, de the deacon. And I want you to consider to become a deacon. So Juan and Father Dad have talked about me considering to become a deacon. Now, what is the difference? I didn't want to be a deacon. Really? I was too busy. Oh. I was, you know, in so many different ministries and activities here in San Faustina, helping. I, I was traveling. Uh -huh. I was not ready for that. That's the difference of God's call. So the first one I wanted, it was all about me when it was in New Orleans. Yes. The second one I didn't. And I know that the Lord knew that, of course, right? <laughs> he said, okay, now it's all about me, not about you. So I talked to my wife, thinking that she's going to say, you are crazy. Uh -huh. You cannot take anything else. Of course, no. So when I talked to my wife, she said, who are we to say no to the Lord? Uh huh. So I said, yes. Because you said you're, you're busy with a lot of the ministries and then you've got a you've got a kid in elementary school and elementary is very busy what ministries I was are you in, involved in here i was healing ministry uh and i was doing unbound here there's also part of the healing ministry okay um i was you know uh i we had a, a group of prayer here for men it was called real connection that i i am leading or was leading still active here uh -huh. in san faustina we, we we started with the females version so the spouses of the real connection so Rudy, plus I travel, as I mentioned to you, a lot and a lot meaning all over the world. For work. For okay. work. Uh -huh. So all the way to Singapore and Brunei to here in America. Um, so I said, every single day I had something, either a meeting with my group of prayers or the healing ministry or unbound or, or rosary. I, I had no day available. Uh -huh. I said, I cannot take anything else. <laughs> but again, that's when you realize it is God's call and he will take care of that. So we said yes. And from that moment, it was a journey for me to become Martha and not Mary. Mm. I was so busy serving the Lord that I didn't have time for the Lord. And the Lord was telling me, slow down. Drop everything you're doing and sit next to me. I want you here. I was not listening. <laughs> and he found a way to make it happen. So in the first two years of formation, which is called discerning, that's uh -huh. a discerning period. You are discerning if it is the call. And of course, the formation team is discerning if it uh -huh. is a real call. Yes. They asked me and talked to Father that said, Carlos need to drop all the things that he's doing and focus on the formation. Okay, before we get into the formation, let's talk about these different ministries, shall we? Could you explain to us yeah. um, each, each of these ministries that you've been involved in? Yeah, so the, um, let me start with the Unbound. Unbound okay. is, a, is part of the healing ministry. Unbound is a, a, is a Catholic uh, formula or Catholic way to free people from their past experiences. Anything traumatic experiences, okay. So the basics of that, Rudy, is that you didn't have, most, 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 mostly or most likely, you didn't have responsibility of it, an event that happened to you. Uh -huh. You were a child and you were raped. That was not your fault. Yes. Now, the reaction, your emotions, 
your hate and, 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 and when you're afraid and revenge and all those things. That stemmed from that past experience. Correct. They came out of you. You had mm -hmm. control. The experience you didn't. So Unbound is all about cutting the links with those reactions. We call them lies because that is the devil that is telling you, mm -hmm. you hold on to them. They uh -huh. belong to you. You really, you need to hate all men. You need to, you know, you will never forgive your uh -huh. dad for what he did to you. Uh -huh. right? so, and it doesn't have to be something as traumatic as that. It can be something much smaller that you just... Anything. Because yeah. every single day, we hold on to those emotions and reactions, right? Someone tells you something that you didn't like, something that you asked for didn't happen. So you, all those reactions and feelings uh, come out of you. Uh -huh. And... And even the word of the Lord says, it's not what come in the body that contaminate the body, what comes out. Mm -hmm. Those are the things that comes out. So it is a process where through five keys, we help, we guide someone to liberate. Unbounded means free, freedom. Okay. But freedom not from, oh, let me leave that behind and I'll continue. Uh -huh. Freedom from moving from a darkness place to a light place, not somewhere in between. Okay. So the first one is, uh, is forgiveness in faith. Uh -huh. uh, or repentance in faith. So you repent knowing that the Lord wants to forgive you. The second one, if the Lord forgive you, now you need to forgive. The third key is about renunciation. You renounce to all those lies and things. Uh -huh. The fourth one is uh, authority. It's like you recover the authority you have as a son or daughter of, of the Lord. Uh -huh. And the fifth one is the blessing from the Lord. So it's 90 minutes. It's a very quick session. And in that session, you help someone to recover their authority. So that ministry, it may sound easy, but it demands a lot because you are going through years of years of years of suffering of someone. Of scars and all of that. Yes. And how do you prepare to become the instrument and not the star? Uh -huh. You're not supposed to be a psychologist and be guessing. Oh, I'm going to be guessing where was the problem. You don't need to guess. You need to let the Holy Spirit to act. So I, I got to a point that I was doing. <clears throat> Sorry, so many unbound sessions uh -huh. that it, it was simply too much, too much. The healing ministry, we also had one mass per month, uh -huh. but also we had meetings that we had to prepare for that. Of course. And in the healing masses, same thing. People with, you know, wounds and concerns and fears, they will come ask for prayer. So I was doing that on a Friday as well. The problem, Rudy, or the challenge is I have a young family. Uh -huh. Friday is the day after a busy week that you would do things together. Yes. I didn't have time for them. It may sound uh, drastic or it may sound uh, amazing, but when I drop all the things I was doing, and now together with the pandemic, which means that I'm working from home, I ended a Tuesday at 7 p.m. watching TV with my daughter and my wife and saying to myself, I really enjoy this. Uh-huh. I don't think I've been doing this that often. Spending quality time with your family. I had no time. And I'm not saying that I'm proud about that. Uh-huh. I was too busy serving the Lord that I, he didn't have time for the Lord. And the Lord is asking me, your first ministry is at home. Yes. Is to be a husband, is to be a dad. Anything else will wait. So 
I had to learn the hard way. You were spread too thin. That's what it was. Thin. Yeah. And and the problem is that the temptation is going to be there to make you feel you're doing great. Uh-huh. <laughs> you're helping a lot of people. Yes. Keep doing that because you're a star and you will believe that. I believe that. And then it was through the formation that, by the way, I thought, oh, this is going to be the end. If you add the formation on top of everything else that I'm doing, uh-huh. this is going to be really bad for my family. Oh, it was the opposite. Because really? it was the Lord in charge. He was going to take care of everything and make sure that your first ministry was going to be intact. So once this diaconate formation came in, it it really helped a lot. Really helped a lot. You weren't spread as thin as... I was yeah. not spread as <laughs> Actually, I now had the, all the support to really say no to many initiatives and say, the formation is my priority right now. Uh-huh. I keep, you know, being active as much as I can, right? Yes. I keep doing unbound here and there. Uh-huh. But for example, I in, in, in my work, I work every other Friday off. So it's what they call 980. You work nine days and you accumulate 80 hours. Yes. Well, that Friday off, I never had it off because I was always booked a session or booked a talk with someone, booked, you know, helping people. Yes. Instead of spending that Friday off with my wife, for example, uh-huh. having lunch with her. Strengthening your marriage. Yes. So, but, but thanks be to God, you know, I, I learned the lesson. He taught me the lesson and he gave me a wonderful opportunity to learn that lesson, right? Uh-huh. You know, in, in information to become a deacon, to be able to help, but at the same time, healing, if I can use that word, my marriage, strengthening uh-huh. my marriage and making sure that together we are strong as ever. And, and I can tell you this, Rudy, and I was talking to my wife the other day because we have to attend uh, Saturday's formation together. We've never been so close and, and so good as, as a couple, uh, you know, as we've been after we started with the diaconate. So I'm, gr- I'm forever grateful. That's, that's very similar to what Deacon Ray said when he, when he came in, how it strengthened his marriage. Yeah. So, you, so we talked about the healing ministry, talked about Unbound. Is there anything else yeah, that so you're the, involved in? The real connection. So there was a group of, uh, it is a group of men that we, mm-hmm. um, we started this journey, I think six years ago. And interesting enough, um, a friend of ours lost his boy. He was five years old wow. through cancer. Uh-huh. So. You know, another friend of mine came to me and said, Carlos, um, help us. Help us to get back to our faith. And, and I said, well, you know, why? What, what's the motivation here? Well, this friend of ours who lost the baby, the child, he talked to him and said, don't wait to be in my position to get back to God. Don't wait to suffer what uh-huh. I'm suffering to get back to your faith. So I said, okay, let's do it together. But you will, you guys will lead the path. And by the way, this is not going to be a sect, meaning it's not my interpretation or what you would like to hear. We're going to learn the real Catholic church, the doctrine. We're going to go by the catechism. Okay. We're not going to be interpreting by ourselves and saying what we like to say. No, we're going to learn the real church. And I'm very proud, Rudy, to say that most of those guys are now serving here in San Faustina. That's awesome. Very active. Because they, they all, you know, were committed to learn the real faith and to put it in practice. So 
that was taking a lot of time because that was, you know, every other Monday we met okay. with the men. And then, of course, they said, we want our spouses to also do this. So uh -huh. I started helping the spouses as well. It was the other Monday as well that I had to do with the spouses. Plus, again, the ministries that I had in the, and, I, and I, I mentioned to you that I had that rosary uh -huh. weekly basis. So I do have a weekly rosary with my family and friends that we connect virtually. And I've been doing that since that kid, you know, was ill. Yes. We started that rosary and we have protected that rosary. So every single Thursday, you know, in the last six years, we've been meeting. And let me put it this way. It got to a point really that I need it. It's not a commitment. It is a need. So I could be in the other side of the world uh -huh. with 12, 13 hours difference and I will call because it is a need. It's like if I, if like for me, oh, I'm going to decide I'm not going to eat today. I can, right? Yeah. <laughs> so the same thing. I cannot skip that. So it, it was the real connection. It was the rosaries. It was the unbound. It was the healing ministry. And on top of that, it was talking to people because the reality is there's so much need. Mm -hmm. And when you start being the face, right? Because you are reading or you are talking or you are, you know, in a session here and there, yes. or you are in front of the, the, the church when you are in the healing ministry, people will come to you. And then, so what do you say? Oh, you know what? I'm too busy. Put that thought on, on hold. Well, I, I was not ready to say no at the time. As I mentioned to you, I was saying yes, 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 yes to everyone but my house, <laughs> but my family. <laughs> I had a no for my family, but not for others. So how do you, how can people look into this, this group that you're talking about with the husbands? Well, you know, we have- Is it open? It, it is open for anyone, uh -huh. but at the moment, we, due to the pandemic, it's been- We've been, we've been having the sessions not that often. Mm -hmm. We never made it as an official ministry because we do believe that there are many ministries here in, in the parish. Uh -huh. We talked, you know, eventually, we, you know, a while ago with Father, uh, with Deacon Randy uh -huh. to see how we can actually make it a more official group. Uh -huh. But it was about the time where at the Diacon information, they told me you need to put things, you know, on hold. Okay. So we've been very careful not to, not to do too much things. But that's why at the moment, I think it is a need for uh -huh. something like that. Yes. Because the purpose of real connection is to is for people to get back to their roots. Right? Uh -huh. Those Catholics that they have not even been the Sunday Catholics. They are Catholic because they, they were baptized, but they've been 10 years or so the last time they came to Mass. Or they're like CEOs, Christmas and Easter only. That is correct. Go to church. If you're lucky, there will be those. <laughs> but, but, you know, there, we have a lot of men uh -huh. Very successful men, you know, that are not in our church anymore. And they're Catholic. So I do definitely feel that there's a need out there for that. And eventually the Lord will, um, will make sure that we, we, get, we get there. Okay. So this was just a group of guys that got together and wanted to learn a little more. That is correct. That's awesome. So you got approached. You thought you were going to be an acolyte. acolyte. And they told you. Oh, we think you're good for the diaconate. Yeah. So what happened next? Then, then I talked to my wife. Uh -huh. Then we, we discerned. And you thought she was going to say, it's crazy. I, knew, I was <laughs> completely sure she was going to say, you're crazy. Yeah, you're spread you too do thin. That, yeah. we, we divorce. <laughs> she said, no. She said, we're, we're going to do it. So um, what happened next is you go to a meeting. 
right? Uh -huh. uh, the, with the diaconate information, it's a, it's a meeting where they will explain what it's all about. And I'm sure that Deacon Re Rick and Ray mentioned this. It's not an easy meeting. It's not a meeting where you get out, this is exactly what I want. They're going to scare you to death. What did they say to you? Oh, they, they said, for, in my case specifically, because I had a young child, uh -huh. I said, oh, you cannot do this. Uh, how are you going to be able to, you know, the busy agenda, work agenda you have, you travel a lot and you have a young child. Ah, you, you're not ready for this. You can't. You need to wait. So that was the purpose of the meeting, to scare you into the purpose, just planting a lot of doubt and saying. Yes. Because as I mentioned to you, the idea is that it's not your call. It is God's call. Yes. And if it's God's call, he will take care of it. But if it is about you, then those, those things will scare you out. And yeah. said, okay. Yeah. That's, your, that's your excuse not to do it. That's the excuse. And let's face it, it was a very valid excuse. And yes. I said, I, I can, I can wait. I, I better wait. Uh, so in that meeting, we get out of that and we ask ourselves, were they, were they trying to recruit people or were they trying to <laughs> kick people out? Now we understand what the, what the whole purpose was. It, it was, it was with, with care to make sure that you really you were sure that it was God's call and not yours. And you were willing to sacrifice a lot of things because the reality is that this comes with a lot of sacrifices. It is not that, oh, you're going to do this on top of everything else whenever you have time. No, you need to sacrifice. This formation is tough. This is something you have to make the time for, not doing whatever extra time you have. That's correct. And, you, and this, the quality time, that you need to put in here. It's not so much saying, oh, I'm going to dedicate these two hours per week because there's a lot of reading. There's a lot of praying. There's a lot of discerning. There's a lot of reflection that you need to put next to this. It's a lot of sacrifices because, uh -huh. you know, uh, maybe my daughter had an activity at school and had to go to, uh, to formation. I still remember this. This is, it just came back to my mind. That meeting that I mentioned to you, uh -huh. the first meeting, I was not in the formation. It was about to discern and decide, is this what we want? Yes. Adele, the singer, was coming to Houston. <laughs> We're a big fan of that. My wife is a big fan of Adele. We bought the best tickets. They were sold in 10 minutes. We were online. That we got two tickets. You got lucky enough to get those tickets. I was lucky enough to go. Guess what? It's on that night. That night. <laughs> Isn't that God's call? Isn't God saying, okay, what do you really want to do? So we had, we had the choice, say, you know what? Let's go to that concert. We're not ready for this. In two years, we may decide to go back because it's every two years that you can, you can make the decision. But we talked about it and said, no, if it is God's call, we cannot say no. Wow. We didn't go to the Adele's concert. And it's so easy to, to do that, to just say, okay, I'm going to go to the concert. You bet. Yeah, we'll put this aside for now. Absolutely. Because again, it was not, not a big deal. It was just a meeting to in. To, to, to inform if, if this is what you want to do. Yes. So, but of course, I mean, for, for us, it was obvious, right? 365 days in the year. How many times had they all come to Houston? <laughs> right. Yeah. I think that was the only one. And it had to happen, that meeting yeah. that we are considering <laughs> to go to, to, to the economic information. So we, we, we had to take it and say, you know, Lord, we hear you. Uh -huh. and, and this is serious. We want to do that. So after that, and with everything we heard in the meeting, we said, well, Lord, we, we're in. We're in. You are in charge, but we're in. And then 
you have your, is that a, a whole year of discerning? Well, it depends on when the call happened for you, right? Um, okay. In our case, it was September 2016 uh, that Father Dad talked to me. Okay. The meeting, I think it was November, if I'm not wrong, or October, November, something like that. So we had only a few months from the moment that Father Dad talked to me and I talked to my wife. And then the meeting, we went to the meeting. Both of us have to go because she has to be on board. Not only on board, she has to com be committed to do yes. this. And yes. from October, November until January, we only have two months because we started formation in January, 2017. Other people had the call either in 2015 or 16. So they had a full year and one or two meetings to decide, yeah, we want to do that okay. until the class started. We didn't have that. So it was, again, like, like the Lord was saying, I'm not going to give you time <laughs> <laughs> to really say, no, I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to put some, um, some temptations here, right? Okay. Or let some temptations to happen to really test if you're ready. Um, but we didn't have much time to decide, only, only a few months. Okay. And then what happened? What was the next step after so that? So the next step is, well, you enter the formation as in two years of discerning period. Uh, those two years is the, the, the academic formation team, deacons, that would teach classes. Okay. And so you're learning, but at the same time, you've been evaluated. And you're also evaluating if this is what you really want. So you have a lot of background check and test and psychological test and, and marriage test, and they will talk to you and both together to make sure that it is your call, but also that you're ready. Mm -hmm. Because they don't want, as, as, as they always say, your marriage is your main ministry. Yes. The diaconate formation cannot destroy your marriage. And if they feel that it's a weak marriage, then they will immediately say, you are not ready for it. You got to work on your marriage first before you can do this. Makes sense. I say this, if you have a strong marriage, the diaconate information will glue that forever. Uh-huh. It's like gorilla glue. Like uh -huh. nothing will separate it. But if your marriage is weak, uh -huh. the diaconate information will be a disaster for that couple because of the sacrifices, because that much time you need to spend. Because the moment, Rudy, that... People know that you're in the diaconate formation. Uh -huh. You're a deacon. What I'm saying with that is they're not going to wait for six years. Uh -huh. they're, you're a deacon already. They want to talk to you. They want <laughs> advice. They want help. And say, I've only been two months in the formation because we're in so much need. People are desperate for help. Yes. And that's the beauty about the, the, the deacon. The deacon is that horizontal connection. If you want to see a simple way about the, that, that clergy, it is, The, the priest is the vertical connection, is the altar connection, uh -huh. and the deacon is the horizontal connection with the community. Both have to be together, right? To be uh -huh. the cross. But it's that connection with the people because we are parents, because we, we do have works, because we are husbands. Mm -hmm. So we can relate with the problem of the community very easily. We have teenagers, we have young kids, right? So we can actually, you know, relate to anything that is happening with the community. So there's much need. So what I'm saying is the moment they know that you're in the formation, oh, it's going to be something They treat else. you like you're a deacon already. And so and, you have a lot of people coming to you for advice yeah, and yeah. all of that. And also from my, to my wife, because she is my, my wife. So they assume you're ready also, right? Does she go to the classes with you as well? She goes to the formation, the spiritual formation classes on Saturday. The academic ones, which happen once per week, uh -huh. 
no, she's not coming. And it is a conscious decision because the one thing what I want to do is to, to show or to, um, how do I say, show my daughter that the diacon information, it is an obstacle among the family. Yes. I, I've been very careful uh, forever, Rudy, to make sure that I don't show my faith as a blocker, an obstacle between my daughter and me. Uh-huh. And unfortunately, I've seen that. I've seen very active people in the church, servants, ministry, that unfortunately that connection with the kids is gone. It, it actually hurts their, their family life. Yeah. So, and, and mm-hmm. I'm not here to judge anyone, but for me has been, I want to make sure that my daughter is proud that I'm going through the formation. And that she doesn't resent that you're she doesn't going resent. through it. And, and not only that, that she feels part of this journey. Mm-hmm. that she is also there. Mm-hmm. So one of the ways we decided to do that is for my wife to be there on those weekly you know, events uh-huh. where the, the next day there's an exam or there's a homework. So she's there to support my daughter uh-huh. while I'm not. Okay. So she doesn't feel that my parents are taken away. Is my dad because I have that the responsibility, but my mom is here. Okay, so that's why she's not taking the classes with you. But that is an option. It is an option. Okay. That is an option. So so in our case, it's working really well. Um, but, but, I, but I believe that if I had to go back and make, make a choice, I would do the same, the same choice. To have my wife mm-hmm. present and there while I'm doing the formation, the spiritual formation on Saturday together. And I think it's a good balance. What part of the process are you in right now? So we are in the last two years. In the last two years, we're, we're entering uh, what they call the senior, the senior year. Okay. But it's basically where we're going to be institute uh, lectures and acolytes. So that means it's the last two, two parts where you are, you are now starting to learn one of the main roles of a deacon, which is preaching. Because a deacon has three main roles, right? One is liturgy. The other one is preaching. The other one is service. It's a community, right? Um, So preaching is where we're going to start now practicing that, right? Reflections. And it's not so much homilies because homilies are for the clergy, but Mm -hmm. you're going to be prepared for that. So we are in that year. We're in a year now where we are social ministry active. Unfortunately, due to the pandemic, we cannot do much of the social ministry. Yes. Which, by the way, I forgot to mention, the other ministry that I had, it was prisons. So I went to, I, I was visiting Jester 3, unit here in Richmond. So I was one of the members that, that went on a monthly basis to, to jail, to the prison, uh, to visit the inmates. And what's that like? Wonderful. Really? It's, it's not scary? No. I would be scared to go. <laughs> I know. It's, it's wonderful because, because the moment you enter there, and I remember this routine, really, let me share this with you. Uh-huh. The first guy I met, good friend of mine, I love him to death. He asked me, why are you here? Why are you here? You could be at home with your daughter, with your wife. You don't know me. Uh-huh. Why, why are you spending time here? So I had two choices, or many, but, but one of the choices I could have said, because I know that if I help you, I will go to heaven, right? The Lord said, if you visit me when I was in jail, then I will take care of you. Come, welcome. Uh-huh. Or I could basically say, because you matter to me. Uh-huh. Because you are a human being. Yes. And you deserve a second chance. And I decided the second. So I said, because you deserve a second chance. Because you deserve to recover your dignity. 
because uh-huh. you're a son of God. So I'm here to talk to you as a son of God. Uh-huh. So that moment, you know, changed the way I saw society. Because I learned, Rudy, that yes, they made bad choices, horrible mm-hmm. choices. Yeah. They know that. Who am I to judge them? And when I when I met to understand and realize their childhood or the likeness they had in their life, mm-hmm. the bad experiences. First, I was so grateful. I remember one event I was doing Unbound at Chester 3. So that healing ministry with an inmate, you can imagine really? that combination. Wow! I came back to my home. My parents were visiting me and I hugged my dad and I told him, thank you. Why? Thank you for showing me love my whole life. Because this guy didn't, he didn't have that love. Oh yeah, it was, it was horrible. And it affected him his whole life. That was a result of a, a bad dad, right? And that dad, most likely that experience with their parents and so on, right? Mm-hmm. So that, that showed me that who am I to judge? But also how wonderful is when you can bring hope to those people. I talked to some of them, they've been 30 years in jail. One of them joined when he was 18. He was 48 when I talked to him. Wow. And when you're able to show them the face of Jesus, the love Jesus has for them, Uh the forgiveness, and help them to forgive, there's nothing better than that. Because you can clearly see how they are free, free from those, you know, Uh uh, resent and and those feelings that I mentioned to you. They are free. They now can love. They can actually talk about those people and, and say, I forgave them. And they believe that. Do, do, you go to, do you go to them or do they come to you when you get there? Well, depending. So the way it works is this is a catechism program. Right? Okay. So we get there and, and, and those that are, go through Unbound, they, they, would, they had to read a book. They had to prepare for that session. So they come to us, meaning... You know, uh, Don, Don Herman, who is coordinating that, by, by the way, a wonderful, he's an angel. Uh, he basically coordinated that and make sure that people that come through Unbound are ready for that. Okay. Because you have to be ready to, yes. to renounce. You have to be ready to accept that you need to repent and you are willing to forgive. So they, they come to us. So we will go there and they will say, okay, these are in the list. How many can we do today? Depending on, on how many volunteers we have, we will do two or three sessions uh-huh. uh, when we go there. So that was one of the, again, ministries that we had. And it was wonderful. But for my daughter, Rudy, Uh that's one example that my daughter would say, my dad is not here, but she is helping people Uh in the prison. She she may not have noticed this, but I've heard my daughter talking to her friends Uh and saying, you know, talk to my dad because he helped people in, in prisons. So he would understand what you're saying. So... I know that she knows that I have not been around that often and she sacrifices and sharing time, you know, my time with others. Uh-huh. But I'm sure she's proud because she's part of that story. So the people in the prison, they're prepared for you when you get there. Yeah. It's not one of those things where you walk in and they have no idea that you're coming. No, no. <laughs> However, the experience happened that we go to the chapel, um, and it's, a, it's a outside, but they were doing some repairs. 
one, this happened in you know, a couple of times. Uh -huh. So we had to go through the gym and through the main prison to get to that chapel. Okay. So now you're surrounded by hundreds of inmates. Yes. Not tens. That is the moment when you realize it's the Holy Spirit acting. I, I was not afraid at all. Really? At all. <laughs> I, honestly, I felt I was in heaven because everyone is in white. So they might not realize that, but I saw angels there. And that's what I would like to, to think about each one of them, uh -huh. that they have an opportunity to become saints. Uh -huh. So I was walking through that and saying, hi, hi, sir. Some of them would look at me. Who are you? Yeah. Yeah. So all this. Hello, sir. Thank you, sir. Uh -huh. Thank you for being here. Uh -huh. So I, I would walk there with no fear. Now, when I went home, I honestly thought, <laughs> what was I thinking? <laughs> These were hundreds of people that society rejected them. Yeah. Criminals, criminals. perhaps murderers. Yeah. You never. <laughs> well, what was I was thinking. But honestly, uh, I was not afraid at all. Because again, when you realize it's not about you, it is the Holy Spirit. I, I'm telling you, it's a different story. When you have that opportunity to talk one uh -huh. eye to eye with one of them, doesn't matter what they did, Rudy. So do you think, can, can, you know, like somebody like me just join you and see what it's like? Absolutely. One of these days? Absolutely. We need, we need a lot of people there. People that are willing to go and show care. I'm yes. just very interested just to see what it's like. Yeah. No, you could actually go and, and help and you will realize that that is the kingdom of God. Uh-huh. He said, I didn't come for those, for the safe one or those that feel that are safe. Uh -huh. I came for those that made mistakes. Those that are crying, those that are wounded. I came from them and I came to help them. And you are here, you know, being the eyes of Jesus, the arms of Jesus, the mouth of Jesus. That's the kingdom of God is right there in action. It's, it's wonderful. That's awesome. So that social ministry, it is on par, it is on hold as you can imagine due yes. to the pandemic. Um, but, I, but I'm telling you, Rudy, the experiences that I had, and this is probably one of the most beautiful moments in my life. This friend of mine, the first one I talked to, in a Father's Day, he sent me a letter. I still have that letter. And I read that letter with my daughter. I said, look at what my friend from Chester 3 wrote to me. And it's about thank you, appreciation for being there for them. And, and I wish I could send that letter to God every single day because God is doing the same for me. He's there for me, even though I may not deserve that. So let's get back to where you are right now. You're in the home stretch now, huh? Yeah. It's the last couple of years? It's the last couple of years. So it's 2023, the ordination day. So the reality is that at least these two, the last two years, you're going in depth now in canon law, in depth in the doctrine of the church, in depth in the mysteries of the church, like the, you know, the um, Santissima Trinidad, the Holy Trinity, right? Okay. The passion of Christ, the incarnation, right? So we're going deep into that. And the reason is always pastoral reasons. Because the deacon, as I mentioned to you, we are there to be pastor, to be close to the people. It's how do we actually bring our, the core of our faith into the people, into the community. People, how do we show that 
the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are one together for them, right? Mm. From the beginning. And, and they're close to them. Three divine persons, but one God that will always be there for them, right? Mm-hmm. It's understanding that and translating that into something that people can say, now I get it. I don't understand it because it's a mystery, yes. but I get it. So we are in that, in that moment where, I'm not saying that it's easy. We have a lot of homework and midterms and uh-huh. essays and projects and tests and classes and quizzes. So it's heavy. It is heavy. But, um, but you know, the first years, they were, they were preparing you for this. They were making sure that you were ready to take up the challenge. And, and the reality, Rudy, is that the formation, the six years, is six discerning years. You are discerning every single day. Uh-huh. Every subject, every Saturday formation, every retreat, you are discerning. Discerning is this really God's call? Yeah. Am I called to be a deacon? Or am I called to be a minister serving the church in a different way? So we are discerning all the time. So these, these last two years, as I mentioned to you, is, is about getting closer to the altar, right? It's an mm-hmm. acolyte understanding the importance because as I said that is the core of our faith the Eucharist right that sacrifice you're getting to understand that so we can bring that to the people and and at the same time understanding that the church and the magisterium of the church exists for a good reason so we can actually take the tradition of these 2000 years of this Catholic church the sacred scriptures into the people so people can actually say, thank you, Lord, because now I hear you, I see you, and I know what to do now. <laughs> so I kind of get it. Yes. <laughs> and that's something that we always need to remind ourselves, you know, as deacons, is our responsibility is to be close to the community. Mm-hmm. You know, back in the days when the first seven deacons were instituted, it was because of that, to help the widows, to serve the poor. Mm-hmm. It was need for that. Yeah. It was not to replace that altar connection, right? That sacrifice connection, but it was to help to make the cross, to complete that cross. Mm-hmm. The apostles, the vertical, the deacons, the horizontal. So now we can show the world, especially first with our Catholic faith, that the sacrifice of Jesus, that cross, had a purpose, a meaning, and it will last forever. Some people could say, you Catholics are crazy. You are following a, a God that died. You were beaten by, by, you know, you made by people, by death. Uh-huh. No, we actually followed a God that resurrected. Yes. A live Christ, a live God. But he humbled himself so much to become one of us and do everything we did except sin. So we don't have excuses anymore. <laughs> right? I cannot say, Lord, I cannot do that. I did it. And I did it as a man, a hundred percent man. So you can do it. So. so right now, looking forward, you're going to graduate through the, uh, the, do they call it graduation? Ordination. Or, uh, excuse me. Of course, ordination. <laughs> yes. Um, so 
you also get a degree, right? Yeah, you get a degree. So in the formation, we are actually um, getting a degree through University of St. Thomas. Okay. So we are in a program with University of St. Thomas, right? Um, because the theology school, right, of the University of St. Thomas uh-huh. is a St. Mary's Seminary. So we are actually, you know, forming ourselves to get a degree. However, we had two choices. You could do a master degree uh-huh. in pastoral care, or you could get a certificate. Okay. It was your call, whatever you want to do. I had to make a conscious decision at that time. Did I want the certificate, which basically means I will become a deacon uh-huh. and I am officially a deacon? Yes. Or a master where I am a deacon, but I could also do other things because I have a master degree. I could have done that because the only requisite that you needed it was to have a bachelor degree. Okay. So I could have done that, but I made a choice because my young family, the master degree demand demands more, more time. More time, yeah. Okay. So I said, that's not what I want. I want to get a certificate just to serve the Lord as a deacon. And whenever the Lord wants, I will go back and get my master's degree. And the way I see it is, I will then get a master's degree in, in the, whatever the real need is. Because uh-huh. that master's degree could be in theology and whatever, you know, something yes. more specific. Yes. That maybe the church needs me at that time. I would love to do that. Some type of psychology, perhaps, or correct. something like that. Yeah. That is correct. Philosophy, you know, something yeah. that they may say, we really need, we have a, a desperate need for this. Would you consider doing a master's mm-hmm. degree in that? And then I might say yes. So I will get a certificate from the University of St. Thomas. So we're going through a curriculum at St. Thomas University. For the certificate. Okay. Yeah. Now, let me ask you a question. Because when I was living in the Philippines, I noticed there weren't deacons in the Philippines. In Venezuela, is it the same way? Same way. There aren't any deacons? What? Yeah, no, I don't, I don't remember knowing any deacon in Venezuela. In Colombia either. My brother lived there very close to Venezuela. No, I don't remember that. I think it's such a wonderful program to have that we have here in the United States. Did you ever think of yourself eventually becoming a deacon when you first moved to the United States and found out about? Not at all. Not at all. So as I said, the first time that when, when a deacon mentioned that to me uh-huh. is when I considered, oh, yeah, this is something I could do. But I think Rudy was not the right reason. It was more the active role, right? Okay, how mm. can I continue to be so active? Yes. Uh, but I didn't have an understanding really at that time what, what a deacon was all about. Uh, I do appreciate, by the way, how well structured the formation to, for deacons is here in the United States and in Texas in particular. Dedicated, well-structured, well done. So, uh, you know, with a lot of sacrifices, but a lot of thought behind the program. So, yeah, maybe at this point that, that now I know and understand more, yeah, I could say, okay, makes sense, makes sense for me. But back in the days, I didn't have an understanding what a deacon was all about. Uh, well, let's face it, it is, it is quite recent that we re-energized the, the, the diaconate Mm-hmm. In the Catholic faith, right after Vatican II, so mm, that's true. Even though it's been in the in our tradition since the the beginning of the first apostles, uh, for a while it was a it had a dark age, if you will, that it was not active at all. So. Looking forward to your ordination, getting the certificate, and all of that. What do you look forward to the most? Serving, serving. Um, I think that. You know, I heard my my sponsor 
at the Deccan Information once explaining what a deacon was all about. He said, we are experts washing feet. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. Yeah. So I, I envision myself kneeling in front of people, serving them, washing their feet. So what, what, which means getting as close to their needs as possible. So they could actually see Jesus when I am watching their feet. Um, so what I'm trying to say, Rudy, is I'm not after the recognition because if anything, washing feet is not a good position, <laughs> right? For those that are listening to me and may say, I want to be a deacon so I could be recognized, right? They see me up there. Are you ready to be an expert washing feet? If that's what you want, you are welcome. So that's what, I, what I'm envisioning is how can I be close to the people to show them that there's always hope, that there's always a loving God there waiting for us, that all those circumstances we've had in life have been nothing but fuel, fuel for our sainthood. Because what we're here is to, be, to become saints. So how can I be part of that journey and help them? And they help me so together we can get to heaven. So um, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm excited at this point and at the same time, so grateful to say, Lord, who am I to be called to become a deacon, a servant? Jesus himself was the best deacon ever. Diaconia means service. Uh-huh. He, he put himself at the service of everyone. How can I call myself a deacon knowing that my role model is Jesus himself? St. Francis of Assisi. Look at that, uh, that saint. He was a deacon. So it is that responsibility. But it's a responsibility knowing that I don't deserve that. It was God's call, God's will, God's mercy. And I just need to trust and let it, be, let it be, say, Lord, according to your will, whatever you want, I'm here for you. I'll do it. The, the one thing I, I, I want to I wanna make sure that that is clear is that I love my faith. Uh-huh. I am here because I love Jesus with all my heart. And I want to share this treasure. I want people to, to get the joy of loving Jesus. And it's true, but you, we will find so much obstacles to achieve that goal because there's a, there's a purpose of, you know, you know, the devil has a very, you know, well-planned, you know, strategy uh -huh. to, to, to deviate that attention from you. He doesn't want us to be, to be joyful, but I want the people to be joyful. I want the people to see Jesus, right? And, and, and hear Jesus in my voice but mostly see Jesus in my acts, right? And, and, and how do we, again, we, we go down in our knees and we wash those feet and, feet and, and, and we tell them, the Lord love you and he forgive you. doesn't matter what you did. There's always hope. What um, advice do you have for somebody who might be considering going into the diaconate? Uh, good question. So, you know, you being in the middle of it. Yeah. So pray, pray, of course, and, and don't be afraid to start the journey, right? That's why the discerning period is all about. 
the first two years is about discerning. So don't say no to yourself. If, if you feel it's, like it's a call, go for it. And be open for, for the Lord's voice. Mm-hmm. Trust in the formation team. Be humble. And if the answer is, this is not your call, you're not ready for this, that's fine too. Yeah, there's no shame in it. There's no shame in it. So go for it. I would say the best advice is if you are considering that, do it uh-huh. and, and pray and ask the Lord, if it is your call, then, then let me finish. If it is your call that I do something else, help me to realize that. Because that journey is a, is a, is a, is a learn, lesson learned for everyone. Rudy, when you are in that di- discerning period and they tell you no, uh-huh. the end of two years, yeah. how do you take that? How do you, how do you accept that the formation team say, we don't see the call in you uh-huh. or you're not ready? Yeah. Or we're going to postpone that? How do you take that? Um, probably many back in the days wanted to be one of the 12 apostles. Only 12 apostles were. Yes. Um, we, don't, we don't know. It was not in the Bible. Yes. But perhaps it happened. Lord, I want to be one of them. I want to be the apostle. Right? So it is his, his call, not ours. And many people maybe were disappointed. Well, if I'm not one of the apostles, I'm not there. I'm not going to be your disciple. So how do we take that, that rejection, if you will? Do we continue serving the Lord? Do we accept that it is his will if he wants us to be deacons or, or one of the 12 apostles or a priest or a religion, man, a woman? It is his call, not mm-hmm. ours. So that would be my advice. Go for it. And uh, don't be afraid. Pray. Pray. And, and if, it is, if it is God's will, he will take care of it, like he did with <laughs> me, for sure. Well, we wish you the best of luck with, uh, you know, moving forward and all of that. One last thing, going back to the different ministries, how can people be a part of these ministries? Yeah, that's a good question. So um, I, I think that the first thing is find out what ministries do we have, right? Okay. So we... And in, in the bulletin, we do have listed all the ministries that we and have on the there. website. On the well. website yeah. as well, mm-hmm. uh, we will have the leaders of each ministry. Mm-hmm. Um, the reality is that due to pandemic, some of the ministries are not that active. Yes, uh, they are not functioning in the same way they they used to they used to be. Uh, that's a reality. But uh, but I would say start searching, asking. You know what what do they mean with women of mercy? Mm-hmm. Why do they mean with um, you know, whatever the program, you know, reaching out or what do they mean with these different ministries? What do they do? Yeah. Right. Uh, how can I be part of that one? So I think that would be the first, the first thing. Go to the web, uh, check what is out there. There are the names. Write an email, make a phone call and ask. We, we have needs. The reality is that this is a growing parish. Um, we, we have more needs than volunteers. That's a reality. We uh-huh. always have that. And that's a luxury. That's a good problem to have. Um, then, so if you want to participate in one of the ministry, find out which ones are, are they? How can you contribute? And I'd like to take the opportunity to also say this. There are many that with all good intentions would like to create a new ministry. Well, the reality is that we are limited by space. Yes. We're limited by resources. Uh-huh. We're limited by the pandemic. And, and it's not that Father Dad doesn't want that. It is that we may not be ready for that. 
one more time. Are we obedient enough to take that no from the Lord? Mm. Saying, thank you, Lord. I know it's not the time. Not the time, yeah. It is okay, Lord. I'm just an instrument. Instead of saying, they told me no, I'll go to another parish. Have How? you seen that happen? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, and, and I understand because, because we're human beings and we, we, we want to help. Yes. But what we cannot forget that it's not about us. It's about the Lord. This is his church. We're only instruments. Mm. So probably the biggest challenge we have, Rudy, is that we're not obedient. We need to be obedient. To be a deacon, by the way, one of the attributes that you need, need to be obedient to the cardinal, to the bishop in that case. The bishop is the one that will tell you, do this, do that. Oh, no, 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 I don't want that. If it is not my way, <laughs> then I won't do it. If, if that's, that's who you are, then this is not your call. Uh-huh. There could to, be something else for it you. It could be yeah. something else, by the way. Huh? Yeah. There, are, there are great opportunities. In, 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 in the Catholic Church, you have plenty of opportunities for everyone. Or perhaps if, if, if being obedient is not your attribute, your strength, mm -hmm. then this might not be your call. Same thing if you, you want to be part of a ministry or create a new ministry, always start with, am I obedient? Am I humble? A am I sure that this is not my decision, but following Lord, the, the Lord's uh, decision and the Lord's um, direction? Okay. Now, with, in terms of the healing masses, this is open to everyone. It is Correct. open to everyone. You don't necessarily have to be Catholic. You don't necessarily need to be Catholic. The beauty is that we don't ask at the door, show me your Catholic certificate to come here. <laughs> show us your secret handshake. Show me your secret handshake, right? <laughs> uh, or the secret code. <laughs> Not at all. Uh, the, everyone needs healing. Everyone needs healing. So <clears throat> we have here in Faustina, and you can check on the web the dates. Come. Join virtually, whatever, whatever it takes, but be present in, one, in the healing ministry. We all need healing. And this, so you said virtually, so it's on the yeah, live stream. The live stream. So on YouTube or at the website or the that, Facebook page of the church. That is correct, because we do, we do recognize that, you know, under the circumstances, people may not be able to mobilize. Yeah. So, but the healing, the healing will happen because there are no limitations mm -hmm. to the Lord. So the healing mass is open to anyone. The healing mass is an, is an opportunity to bring your needs in front of the Lord and let the Lord act. So come. Uh, it is once per month. It is a wonderful opportunity to disconnect for everything and then just bring that, that need in front of the Lord. The reality, Rudy, is that every mass is a healing mass. That's the reality. Uh -huh. But Let's, let's face it, we as human beings, we need that dedication, right? Like, <laughs> like the special name for it. Uh -huh. And it's fine because the Lord, he, he instituted the, the, the Eucharist, but he also preached and he also sent the disciples to evangelize and to baptize. So he found, well, he created that evangelization way that meet everyone wherever they are. That's the beauty. Mm -hmm. God takes the initiative. And go, and, and go after you. He's searching for all of us. And he's giving us opportunities all over the place so we can get closer to him. Those that cannot come physically and get the Eucharist physically, the word of the Lord is reaching out to them. Yes. Right? 
it won't ever stop. Mm -hmm. And it might, they might not even have access to YouTube yeah. or live stream, but have access to a neighbor or someone that is talking to them, bringing the Lord's word. There you go. So yeah. the, perhaps, and, and I like to also mention that don't feel sad. Don't feel abandoned. Don't feel isolated. God will never let you down. Will always come closer to you where you are. Will meet you where you are in that room, in that isolation, you know, jail or cell. Mm -hmm. You are not alone. Will come to you. This is a living God. On that note, Unbound. If somebody's interested in that, because I'll tell you, I had an experience with Unbound. It was, uh, I was going through a, a rough time at one point and Father Dad told me, you got to look into this Unbound. He got me in touch with somebody who was wonderful, wonderful experience. It really helped me a lot. How, how can somebody who may be carrying some, you know, some weight or have some demons, how can they get in touch? How can they prepare themselves? So go to the web, San Faustino web, and on the healing ministry, mm -hmm. send a note. And then mention Unbound. Yeah, mention Unbound. Uh, because this is a journey. So in, through the healing ministry, we're going to start praying first for uh -huh. the person. A phone call or, or a virtual call, whatever that is. So let's start that journey. Then, then you know, in parallel, reading the book explaining what Unbound is all about, preparing for that session. And then we have that session, but it's through the healing ministry. Go to the website, click there, send a note, ask, I want to do Unbound. The other mechanism that normally happens is Father That or Father David Michael mm -hmm. in confession. They hear confession, you know, you know, the Lord, you know, forgive their sins, mm -hmm. but then there's healing that is needed. Yes. Then they send these people, they recommend you. They, rec they recommend us to, to do Unbound. Okay. Uh, so, but the, the, the best one, if you want to take the initiative, um, is go to, uh, to the website, Healing Ministry, and then send a note. And someone, one of us, will, uh, will contact them and coordinate that. Could you tell us about everything that we do here at St. Faustina in terms of the Spanish ministries and the, the Mass in Spanish and all of that? Yeah, so the beauty is that this is the first time I've been in many parishes along the world and, and the first time that I see Spanish and Anglo together. There's no difference. We do have Spanish mass that happens once per, well, the, the, the Sunday mass at 1 p.m. Yes. For those that are not coming. We also have the Thursday afternoon mass at uh, 6.30 p.m. Uh -huh. uh, that happened in Spanish. Uh, we do have the, you know, different small Christian communities in Spanish yes. that they can also join and they can find information on the web. Um, but the beauty is we do have all ministries is a joint effort. Spanish speakers and English speakers all together. I love that. Uh, others may say that we need to separate that and be specific. Well, the, the Holy Spirit will make that call, right? If that's the direction we have to go. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Certainly at the beginning to build these, these church I'm, I'm pretty sure that Father that was inspired by the Holy Spirit to say, let's build that together. We don't need to separate that. Have those bilingual masses. Bilingual masses, as you can see, the, the, healing, the healing masses in, uh, that we normally have, they are bilingual. Mm -hmm. We do have events that um, we have guests that are Spanish speakers. So trying to, to cover the needs of, of, of both communities, right? Uh, but, but, but the beauty having that specific Spanish mass 
uh, and representation of Spanish speakers in the different ministry, including pastoral council, mm -hmm. helps a lot the church to make decisions that that fit, you know, the purpose and the needs of the different communities. Because the reality is that the cultures are different. Yes. And we need to acknowledge that. So it's not so much that our faith is different or our prayers are different, uh -huh. but it's the culture, right? And, and understanding that culture in some of the decisions we make, it is important. So rest assured that we, in San Faustina, we have representation from the different cultures in everything we, uh, we decide to do. Feel like it makes people feel more welcome. Absolutely. You know, this, this is our mission, right? We, we, this is our mission. The mission here is that to be that center of divine mercy that everyone is welcome. And, and you feel it. You know, when you come to San Faustina, you feel it, you feel it, you feel, I'm at home. I belong here. Uh, it, that's the Holy Spirit, right? It, it, you, you certainly see that the Holy Spirit is allowed to be here, is allowed to be here. And that's wonderful. Th there's no, um, it's a good reason why you see this is a young parish, right? Look at the average age in this parish. That because it's a welcoming parish. And it's not so much that we are not following the Catholic doctrine. Because a lot of people feel that, oh, no, this is welcoming because you are not following the, the traditional uh -huh, Catholic church. Uh -huh. Oh, no, we're following by the book. Uh -huh. By the book. But it's about showing care in everything you do. Showing love in everything you do, in everything you say. I could actually tell you these are the commandments. Mm -hmm. But it could be in an inviting way. Or I could tell you, these are the commandments. If you don't do it, you go to hell. <laughs> right? In, in San Faustina, we are inviting over and over and over again to love God as God loved you. Are we perfect? We are not. And thanks be to God. Because that is a journey that keeps us in our feet. Yes. To continue improving and becoming better and better and better every day. And if I can say something else, we have another responsibility here at San Faustina is to protect the clergy. Let's protect mm. Father Dad. Let's protect Father David Michael. Not only with prayers, but be there for them. Let's make sure that we are not part of the temptation. We caught the temptation for them. Let's make sure that they are protected. They feel loved, but they are protected. This is our call and right responsibility. We cannot leave them alone in this journey. Because the church is attacked. Well, guess what? Mm -hmm. We have thousands of soldiers here in San yes. Faustina to protect Father Dad and Father David Michael and to protect the bishop and to protect the cardinal. And we do it with what? With the best weapon we have, love and faith. <laughs> and with those two, oh my God. <laughs> yeah, we're going to, we, we won the battle already. We know that. Jesus already won that battle. We thank you so much for being one of those soldiers. Thank and you, buddy. we wish you the best of luck throughout the rest of your diaconate formation. And we look forward to having you come in as deacon. Can you imagine that? <laughs> Please pray for me, but more importantly, pray for my wife and pray for my daughter. Because if it is one thing I want to I want to be, I want to be a strong Catholic family. I don't want people to see Deacon Carlos disconnected with the family. Mm -hmm. I want to see a diaconate family. I want to see Deacon Carlos as strong as ever with his wife and with a proud daughter that love the Catholic Church and love what we do serving the church. We look forward to seeing that. Thank you, my friend. Appreciate it. Appreciate it, right? Really. Thank you. We appreciate you being here. Amen. Amen.